All right. Good evening, everyone. I am here with my guest, Laura. Um, let me make sure I'm, I'm saying it right. Jeez. Uh, uh, Laura Gassner Otting. Oh, very good. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I'm So in my house, we just call you LGO. Uh, my wife and I both look at the uh, look at the interviews. Um, so I'm going to start off. I'm going to play my quick cheesy intro, and I will be right back to ask you a billion questions. Have you ever wondered why you struggle to find success or fulfillment or lasting happiness? It's probably because your default wiring is set to lose. The How to Win at Everything podcast looks at real people who have struggled with the same insecurities, fears, doubts, and expectations, and found a way to succeed. Why? Their brains are rewired for success. We dive into their thought patterns to show you how to rewire your own brain to win at everything. Thank you so much for being on with us this evening, Laura. Uh, first off, how are you? Great. How are you doing? I, I am doing great also. Um, just for anyone who is watching right now, I want to get this out really, really quickly. Uh, Laura is one of my favorite interviewers to watch on LinkedIn Live. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you guys are on LinkedIn, you definitely want to look up her her uh, her live interviews. They are beautiful. And she is a great interviewer. But before I dote on you, Laura, let, let me let me give you a chance to kind of tell us what you do, who you are, uh, even though I've probably told everybody already. Go right on ahead. Sure. Well, my name is Laura Gassner-Odding, and I get people unstuck. Nice. That's what I do. And how do I do it? I do it as an author. I do it as a speaker. I do it as an executive coach and uh, as a general all around uh, kick in the pantser. <laughs> Do you remember the first time we chatted on LinkedIn? I told you I love your about page. Can, can, can you tell us what they call you? Yeah, I get introduced on stage often as a kick in the <laughs> kick in the ass wrapped in a warm hug. <laughs> I thought that was the true. most beautiful thing. You're right. <laughs> sometimes um, a little bit more of one, sometimes a little bit more of the other. I try <laughs> to find a happy medium in the middle. Don't it's all about balance. It's right? all about balance, right? You know, some days I eat like the chili cheese fries and some days I'm a vegan, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> but somewhere in between <laughs> is where you fall. <laughs> so, so what are the things that I completely enjoy? Uh, so I'm going to start with your book. Uh, we won't have to stay with the book, but I definitely want to start with the book. One of the things I really enjoyed was like checking out your story. Um, you're you're this idealist, you know, and I think most of the people that I've connected with on LinkedIn and, and throughout my my career have been either idealistic people or or people who at the very least thought there's a possibility to change things. So before we jump into everything, I want to kind of get an idea of where did that start for you? How did you, did you learn to become that person? Is that who you always were? 
Oh, I've been an unabashed, unrepentant idealist since before I can even remember. Um, I I don't know. It's really interesting. I've never been asked this question before. I don't necessarily know where it came from, but I, you know, I'm, I'm the child of... I am the child of the children of immigrants, right? Like I'm, I'm that right. story of people who every generation did better than the generation before them. Right. And so, you know, for example, my father shared a one bedroom apartment with his, you know, he pulled out sofa on the, on, in a one bedroom apartment with his brother until he left to marry my mom, right? Like we just right. in Brighton, Brooklyn, and, and I grew up on the water in Miami, right? Like that's, <laughs> you know, the, the, the amount of change you can make in one generation uh, when you have you know, privilege uh, is sure, is sure. pretty stunning. And so I think I just, I was always raised with this idea that the world is possible as long as you do the right things, you work hard, you, you know, you're, you're, you're in the right places. And then, you know, I mean, I went to public school in Miami. I feel like I had the world's worst education in, in the universe. And then I went to University of Texas. So like, you know, state, state school. So sure. it wasn't like I like had this path that was, you know, my, my, you know, Ivy League this and Ivy League that and doors opening left and right. But I just showed up. I just kept showing up. Like I ended up in the White House when I was 22 years old because I was the volunteer <laughs> on the campaign who just never stopped showing up. And eventually huh. people don't keep showing up. They don't keep getting paid. But That's I was right. like, oh, I can't afford the frozen Swanson dinner. I guess this week I'll have the ramen soup. And I would just like, I won't have three ramen soups today. I'll have two ramen soups today. And I just, I just kept showing up. And I don't know. I mean, at some point, you do enough interesting things with enough interesting people and interesting opportunities come your way. So it sort of huh. builds into you this muscle memory that anything is possible. That is that is amazing, first off, because to so when 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 I booked you for the show, um, well, so initially when I read your 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 LinkedIn information, I was like, well, she she's worked in the White House, she's a best-selling author, she's a worldwide speaker. It's like, but she comes off so so humble, like she's such a you know, everyday person. And I thought that that was amazing. But now to kind of hear the story behind it, where you started off, it, it, and it really does kind of speak to what we're talking about today, which is really trying to help people discover their why. So getting back to the book, I know that that is essentially what you're helping people with. When you say getting people unstuck, though, how, how do you define it? How, how do you mean that? Uh, you know, You know those moments in your life where like, everything that you know that you do well, like your very best, your very best uh, uh, skills are being called upon to solve a problem that you actually care about. And mm-hmm. that problem, the solving of that problem is you get rewarded for it in ways that mm-hmm. are actually meaningful to you, right? Your very best skills are being called upon to solve something that's important and you're being you're being rewarded in a way that's meaningful to you. Those are these moments when you are, as I described in the book, limitless. You're in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like the what you do matches the who you are. And what I find with a lot of people is that they get stuck because they're not doing that. They're mm. not doing that and they're feeling really unhappy they're they're not bringing their whole selves to work they're not bringing their whole selves to you know their love lives they're not bringing their whole selves to their family their communities Mm -hmm. 
because they're simply not in that place where they're feeling limitless. And we get stuck because we allow other people to tell us what skills we should use, what problems we should solve, what rewards should be interesting for us. And so, you know, for me, I try to help people and I try to ask them why they actually care about what they're doing and what they might care about more and what success actually means to them. Because I don't know about, I don't know about you, Kelly, but you know, when I was growing up, I was told that success was the right marriage, the right house, the right car, the right clothes, and exactly the right size, sending your kids, you know, the 2.5 kids and to exactly the right schools. And it turns out that that's not what makes everybody happy. Like some people want, you know, a, you know, to refurbish a 1975 Mustang and some people want a brand new Tesla and some people would like to, you know, ride a bike to work because, you know, like we all have <laughs> different thing. things that we care about. That's their thing. So we get stuck because we we're running someone else's race because we're working someone else's, you know, someone else's job. So we build these great big lives, but they're not lives that are the lives that we want. So they're not really ours. They're not really ours. That being said, um, when when so so you started off the book, you and I believe you're talking about the janitor working at NASA. Um, the it's it really stuck with me because I talk to so many people every day who they they really are very very limited. They have very limited views, stuff limited ideas, um, and and really quickly the 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 janitor. Uh, works at NASA, and I believe it was Kennedy, was it, uh, that you said, uh, basically asked, was asking him, hey, what do you do here? And he's like, hey, I helped send a man to the moon. And the reality is that he is definitely a, a piece of that puzzle. So many of us are looking at things from the skewed point of view. Uh, because you spent 20 years interviewing the top people and the top uh, you, you, you've talked to more successful people than I have probably ever known. That being the case, when you're talking to someone or when, when you're identifying where that limitation comes from, what did you figure? How, do, how, do, how does that happen? Oh, I mean, I think for a lot of us, it happens in a lot of different ways. Like, for example, I had a fourth grade teacher who was like, you know, Laura, you're a pretty argumentative young woman. You should become a lawyer. And right. I was like, First of all, you're wrong because, <laughs> you know, I was argumentative. So, of course, I had to tell you <laughs> it's <was> wrong. Right. <laughs> I was like, first of all, you're wrong. And also then I created an, an educational path that got me, you know, all the way to law school where I looked around mm-hmm. the very first day and I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to be here. This isn't what I want. This isn't the direction I want to go. And then, um, you know, I so I dropped out and I, I joke around that I dropped out of law school and I joined a presidential campaign and on that presidential campaign, I met and began to date the man of my grandmother's dreams. <laughs> and the man of my grandmother's <laughs> dreams came in the form of a six foot two, nice Jewish boy, a medical student from a good family. Right, yes. a good team, <laughs> package, right? a whole and the problem is, is that every time I'd kiss him, all I could think of was like milk, butter, cheese, eggs. I got to pick up the dry cleaning. <laughs> so I, I, there was no spark. And when I would tell my Nana, my dear, sweet Nana, uh, mm-hmm. the story of Spark Allen, as he became known in my family, she would mm-hmm. just look at me and she'd be like, but you just need to 
concentrate. <laughs> okay, so concentrate is I might, I know Spark. So I didn't fit my teacher's definition of success. I didn't become a lawyer. I didn't fit my grandmother's definition of success. I didn't marry the nice Jewish doctor. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward 10 years and there I am in the corner office. I had made it. I was a vice president in the biggest search firm in the country that did specifically nonprofit mission driven work. And I was like, yes, success. Right. Here I am. I am helping cure cancer. I am helping feed the poor. I'm helping to, you know, clean up the environment. And I'd look at my clients across the table and they'd look at me and they'd be like, she's not on our side. I literally was not on their side of the table, but also mm-hmm. they were doing the work and I was on this side of the table. They were on that side of the table. And in between us was the profit and loss statement of the search firm for whom I worked. And yeah. my boss's definition of success wasn't cure cancer and feed the poor and clean up the environment, although it was, but that was a secondary definition. Yeah, His yeah. primary definition was do the work as fast as possible, as efficiently as possible, so that's that right. we can have lots of profits. And so for him, the definition of success was profit first, mission second. And that didn't work for me. Hmm. So I marched into my boss's office one day and I was like, I figured out a way where we could do the work that's mission first, profit second. Here's the way. And he was like, there's the door. So <laughs> I, could have, I could have stayed and kept doing the work his way. But the problem is, is that I had already realized that I wasn't part of the solution. Yeah. And once you're not part of the solution, that kind of leaves you in no other place except for what? You're part, part of the problem. Of the problem. Yeah. So I couldn't stay. And that's when I left and I started my own firm that did the work in a completely different way. But I think we all have that. We have the fourth grade teacher. We have the parent or the grandparent. We have the boss. We have people in our lives who, before we even realize they're doing it, stick these little scorecards in our back pockets. And then we carry those scorecards around until one day we filled out the scorecard and we're like, check, 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 check. I've done it all. I built this beautiful life, except Mm. it's a beautiful life for someone else. And that's why you get to this 25 years and you have a quarter life crisis or like 45 years and you have a midlife crisis or, you know, you look around one day and you're like, is this all there is? Is this all I meant for? And that's depressing. That's yes. Uh, Let me ask you this. Was it, was it your, your, your idealistic growing up, you, you're, you're, you're obviously pretty positive because you believe that you can make these changes. You get to this position where you're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm I'm helping the little guy. I'm helping the the underdog. I'm I'm doing this good work. The the I I can get where the boss is going to come from, and plenty of our viewers are going to say, "But don't you need the money to move the mission forward?" So well, no, so, and also because Kelly, I'm a princess. Okay, like it wasn't just that I needed the money <laughs> to move the mission forward. That mattered. <clears throat> But I also like going to fancy hotels and flying first class and sleeping in 800 thread count sheets. I mean, like, right. <laughs> let's be real. When I was 22 years old, volunteering on that campaign and eating the ramen soup, I was totally fine to be worth my weight in like cup of soup, cup of ramen. That's right. <laughs> but I'm pushing 50 now and I've got two teenagers and, you know, like I, like I said, I'm a princess. Like when we could travel, remember travel? Like I like to travel and I like That's to travel right. well. If you're going to live right. on an airplane, you're going to want to do it nicely. That's so, right. <laughs> yes. So here's the thing. When we started doing the work in my firm, the way that I thought it should be done, mission first, profit second, it turned mm-hmm. out 
that when we showed up and we did the work in the way that we thought was right, so much business flowed our way that we grew 100% every year for the first 10 right. years. Wow. We would have kept growing that fast, except my team was like, stop, like, we just need to take this car on the road and see how fast we can drive it. Stop innovating. Stop. Let's just like, let's just like wow. down and see what we can do here. So it, I, the thing is that good work begets more good work. And I would go mm -hmm. in to pitch mm -hmm. clients and I would tell them about the way that we do our work. And they'd say, God, mm -hmm. you seem like you have the best job. And I'm like, of course I do. I get to work with these amazing people. I get to work with these amazing clients. I get to charge mm -hmm. a, 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 a fee to you that's fair. I get to pay my people really well. And we mm -hmm. set the whole firm up in a way that it was a virtual back before virtual existed. This is like mm. pre-COVID. I started mm -hmm. the firm when my first kid was six weeks old and he just turned 18. So this is 2002. We started a virtual wow. firm. So we figured out a way to do the work where we could hire excellent people and we could charge far less because we didn't have mm -hmm. all the overhead. Mm -hmm. So I could pay my people more. I'm hiring these great people. I'm paying them higher than industry average. I'm charging my clients less than industry average. And in between, we all ended up making more money than we would have mm -hmm at the other firm with all the overhead. So it, it, it wasn't like, I'm not going to make enough. I'm not going to make money. We were, mm -hmm. we only worked with nonprofits, but we were decidedly a for profit firm. Mm -hmm. We just like to say mm -hmm. that we were for enough profit. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. here's the thing. At a certain point you say, do I want to maximize profitability? Do I want to yeah. maximize impact? Or do I want to maximize flexibility? And I'll let you take two of the three. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to have all three, but yeah. we said if we maximize, we want to maximize impact in the world. And I wanted to mm -hmm. maximize flexibility. I wanted to be able to go to my kid's soccer game on a Wednesday afternoon. Right. I wanted to be able to do those things. And I knew that enough profit would come. Hmm. And probably for your listeners, for your viewers, they're thinking, hmm, like two of those three things are probably why they do the work they do. So if you want to mm -hmm. over-index on those, that's probably going to pay you what you need. That that brings up well, it brings up a lot of questions, but it, it brings up a place where I believe you're right. Everyone is concerned about that. None of but well, most of us aren't working in a job for impact. Honestly, most of us are working in a job because the, the money we, we we have to have the money, and what we crave is the flexibility, and we crave the impact. Uh, people want to feel fulfilled. They want to feel like they're doing something with purpose. So. I got to tell you, this sounds like a leap of faith. What, what, where, where are you at when you say, "Hey, boss, you have the the the. This is your place. You're you're doing business in a certain way. You're making money. What makes you believe as and how this is what 2002? You said what makes you believe in 2002 after Y2K and 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 9/11? What makes you believe you can do that? <laughs> Nothing. <I> just, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I get asked a lot to speak to entrepreneurs, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. colleges and at conferences. And there's mm -hmm. always somebody at some point who stands up and they're like, Laura, I just, this all sounds really great. But like, how long did it take you to write your business plan? And I'm always uh -oh. like, I, I didn't, I didn't have a business plan. I had, I had business like I had some clients that were like, if you leave, we'll go with you. Right. But I didn't have a 
plan. I just have huh. a business. And I, and I sort of thought, well, if I do well enough on one of them, then I could probably get referrals to another one. And maybe that'll lead to referrals to another one. But I also knew that I had two numbers in mind, Kelly. I had, I had a need to make number. Like, what mm -hmm, do I mm -hmm. need to pay my mortgage? Right. Right. My bank doesn't take good karma, no matter mm -hmm. how many times we ask, right? Like your bank, <laughs> if you have a bank that does that, you tell me, cause I'm going to come bank at your bank. I have not found them. <laughs> so my bank, I'm doing work for nonprofits and mission driven organizations, foundations, university, mm -hmm. app receivers, mm -hmm. and they're like, great, this is, the, where's your mortgage payment? So mm -hmm. here's the need to make number. I knew that number. I knew I had that number covered because we had, you know, some savings Savings. because I had yeah. a certain, you know, I had six months of, you know, potential business in the door. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's the want to make number, right? right? So you've got the need to make number and the want to make number. And as long as you know that you're covering your need to make number, the rest is really up to you. The rest mm. is what else you want to do. So, you know, I was doing the meat and potato search work that I wanted to do. But mm -hmm. I was also taking on hourly work from other search firms. I was like, you want me to reference check those candidates? Sure. I mean, I was doing... Right anything. And, you know, it was the typical entrepreneur story where it was like two in the morning and I'm doing my invoices because I was stupid and I thought that that was saving money, right? Like we all right. know that you don't save money by being cheap and it's actually more expensive to be cheap. Really than not. So, you know, I was doing my invoices. They were often wrong. I wasn't figuring out like where the money was, where it was coming from. Um, but I was doing all those things and I was sending out so many invoices because it was like, oh, you need me to do five hours of work. I'll do five hours of work. Forget the other, like I could be spending those five hours actually out there sure. looking for more clients. So I made yeah. all the entrepreneur mistakes. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew my why. I knew my why and my why was that the problem that I wanted to solve was to put the right people in the right places so that they could actually affect the right kind of change that I wanted to see in the world. That that is so beautiful. <laughs> um, you you at one point you're you're doing again the the beginning entrepreneur foolish thing. You're you're paying yourself last, right? So, <laughs> or not at all, <laughs> right? Or, or not at all. And, and and is this during the ramen years? Is this, <laughs> is this, yeah, I, you know, there's a line in my book uh, that often gets quoted back to me that it's like, some days were steaks, some days were That's ramen. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the ramen years were like in D.C. when I was living in that okay. English basement. English, cozy English basement, by the way, sounds very, very lovely. In fact, yeah. it turns out it's one of those basements that's half in the ground. So you get this like oh, teeny little yeah. inverted curly windows. And the oh. only thing that you can see in there is like the rats. <laughs> so, and, and cozy means like 300 square feet for like yeah. six of you. Yeah. So like yeah. those were really the ramen years, but gotcha, you know, when gotcha. you're running your business, you, people come to work for you mm -hmm. and they trust you. Right. So like, yeah, I was worried about my mortgage, but like, I had to pay everyone else's mortgage too. So I paid myself last or not at all sometimes. So, so um, can you talk a little bit about the point where you get the, you get a coach to give you a hand uh, because I, I thought that part was really, really funny. And, and as someone who started like four businesses at this point and, and you know, doing the, the, can you go ahead and talk about that? What happened when you got your business coach? Sure. Uh, so, um, I call this. I got a coach that was so beyond what I should have. Uh, he is somebody who was a direct report to Jack Welch when uh, Jack ran wow. 
GE, yeah. like he rode the private plane with him. When GE said, we need to put some energy on this, he knew what he meant. Like he was yeah. in the inner circle. He happened to be the very best friend of like 50 years of a mentor of mine. And when I was lamenting my problem to this mentor, the mentor's like, hey, let me call my friend Chris and Chris will give you some advice. So I meet Chris for breakfast and, mm -hmm. you know, we're having this conversation about all my problems. And Chris is like, well, I think you're interesting. And I owe Dave like 50 years of favor. So I'm going to help you out. And I was like, Dave, I, I can't afford. Or I said, Chris, I can't mm -hmm. afford you. And he's like. That's okay. I, I this is gonna this is gonna clean my debt with Dave. There you go. I guess that was that much of a problem that I was cleaning the debt of fifty years of favor. Right. So he gives me some he gives me some questions. He asks me some questions and he sends me back to like come back the next week. And I come back the next week and I bring him all of my papers. I bring him my PL sheets. I bring him our marketing plan. I bring him like, you know, you name it, like our customer target list. I bring him everything. Like the report. I'm I'm prepared. Like I am looking for the gold stars. I'm like I was an A plus student. I'm going to be an A plus student now. And I sit down. We we always went to the same um, hotel uh, uh, restaurant, and there was this you know big buffet, and we get the buffet, and we you know I piled my plate full of food. He piled his plate full of food. We sit down. I spread out all the papers in front of him. And he kind of like just sort of looks at the doesn't look at the papers, but looks at the array of papers, and then looks mm -hmm, at me. He's like, mm -hmm. well, "Tell me, how do you pay yourself?" And I was like, "Well, okay. First, I figure out how much money we've made, because you know that's important. <laughs> then I pay all my people, because that's important. And then I invest some of the money back in some of our infrastructure, because that's important. And I'm thinking I'm getting sure. like gold stars, and it's mine. And I say, and then I pay myself whatever's left over. Mm -hmm. And he like puts his fork down, a piece of bacon down. He looks at me, he's like, what?" He was like, you, you need to stop being such a girl. <laughs> At that moment, all my feminist hackles were like, what are you talking That's about? That's right, yeah. But I mean, holy cow, he was right. I mean, I wasn't being such a girl. I was just being dumb in the business. Like I was being a child. And um, and he's like, well, that's, that's crazy. He goes, let's do this for next week. He like literally pushes all the papers, stacks them up and hands them back, never looks at them, hands them back to me. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Next week, I want you to come back and I want you to tell me what you want your life to look like in five years. And he goes, I don't want one of those like BS obituary kind of things. Here's my mm -hmm, legacy. He mm -hmm. said, I want you to tell me, and I give this assignment to all of my executive coaching uh, clients now, always. He says, I want to know. What kind of life do you want to have? What kind of house mm -hmm. do you want to live in? What kind of car do you want to drive? When you, how mm -hmm. many vacations do you want to go on each year? And when you go on those vacations, are you staying in the Holiday Inn or the Four Seasons? That's when you right. rent a car, are you getting, you know, the Range Rover or getting the Hyundai, right? When you are thinking about your activity in your community, are you cleaning up the park, which is great, or are you funding <laughs> 10 people to clean up the park, right? What is the right. level of access of power of luxury of leverage that you want to have in your life and i was like uh, oh because right? at that point i had always been taught that success was bigger better faster more mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and if it's not bigger better faster more then it's what it's 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 smaller slower worse i don't remember what the opposite but but it's, mm -hmm. it's, it, it's so for me that was a really interesting assignment because I went home and I said, yeah, I want to build 
this business, but I also, like I said, want to impact, I want to maximize my flexibility with my family. I want to make money, but I also want to maybe exchange some of that money for being able to go into doors that I might not be able to go into otherwise, right? By like donating my time Mm -hmm. or or work. So maybe it's less Mm -hmm. money in the door, but it's more pro bono. And it was just this exercise of what does success really mean to me? And he didn't know it at the time, but that meeting was really the moment where it clicked for me that the the old scorecard of what we all look for, how much money am I making? How much, um, how prestigious will this brand look on my resume? Uh, what's mm-hmm. the, the organization? Am I inspired by the leader? Um, what are the benefits look like? All those things yep. that we've been told, what kind of skills am I gonna acquire? What's the next job from here? All those things are all important to think about the value of the job, but they're not necessarily helping us figure out the value of the job to you or to me, right? Because you and I might look at the same job and have very Mm -hmm. different feelings about it. Mm -hmm. I like to go to these, you know, beautiful cosmopolitan (laughs) five-star hotels that don't take a lot of time to get to, but they cost a lot of money to get to. So I don't need a lot of vacation time, but I need more money. You, I don't know, Kelly, you might like to go camping and you want to have that beautiful breakfast over, you know, a campfire in the morning. And that's, that's right. lovely, except for the bugs and the bears and the money to take you a lot of top time to go deep into the woods. So you might not yep. want as big of a salary, but you might want more vacation. So each that's of right. us are going to think about these things differently. And that, that, that exercise of what do you want your life to look like? really made me think, oh, it's my life. And what do I want it to look like as opposed mm-hmm. to like all the things that everyone's been telling me it should look like. So that mm. really that really was the genesis of the whole idea that became the cornerstone of the book Limitless. Uh, thank you. And you tell the story beautifully. <laughs> the um, what what I took from from that story, because I, I as I'm going along with it, I like I'm right there with you. And I'm like, man, I wish I had a mentor in my world who was just like kicking me in the butt and saying, hey, it it took me probably the last 15 years to get into a place where it's like, this isn't, work is for work, money is for money, and we got to have those things and blah, blah, blah. But what am I actually going for? What am I aiming for? What's my why? And and just so I I, I think I mentioned to you, I I read the uh, book uh, Starting With Why by Simon Sinek. And and he goes into this whole idea about why. And it's like, man, that's it. That's it. For for all the reasons that you listed, people seem to be very disconnected with their why. But in the book, you kind of outline some ways for people to really get connected with it. Uh, Can you kind of outline that for us here? Um. Are you talking about the four C's, the four C's mm-hmm. model? Or, okay, mm-hmm. so um, uh, so what is consonance, right? If if in if over the course of twenty years I interviewed thousands of leaders who were all these moments of major inflection points, right? They are changing mm-hmm. their careers. It was mm-hmm. really interesting because as a as a headhunter, uh, as an executive recruiter, think about the job. The job is to call people who are super successful in the jobs that they have. Because mm-hmm. that's why we want to recruit them away to the jobs that's for right. clients, right? So my job was to call thousands of people who were super successful at what they were doing. And here's the thing. It wasn't that hard because despite all that success, they were still taking my calls. 
because mm-hmm. they weren't all that happy. And mm-hmm. I was so fascinated about the idea. And don't get me wrong, executive search is hard, but that's not mm-hmm. the hard part about it, right? Uh, it, it's it fascinated me that despite all this success, they weren't all that happy because it turns out that even when you have that great successful bio, that great successful resume, mm-hmm. if it's not the one that you wanted, you're still feeling unfulfilled. And what I found was it came from this lack of connection between your action and your impact. It came from having work balance, work-life balance, but not work-life alignment. It came from mm-hmm. uh, this idea that like, I'll be happy when. Like, mm-hmm. I'll be happy when mm-hmm. I get the next job. I'll be happy when I get the next promotion. Right. I'll be happy when I get the big car. I'll be happy when I got married. I'll be happy when I get divorced. Like, it comes from all these things. So so what I found was that the the amount of, like, pain and stress and anxiety and overwhelm came not from the the aggressive growth in your career. It just came from the aggressive growth in your career in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what I saw was that there was like a handful of people over the course of 20 years who actually seemed to have both success and happiness. And I also started to think about my own changes that I made in my career over those years, stemming from, you know, dropping out of law school and starting mm-hmm. you know, my own business and then this meeting with this business coach. And what I found was that th- there were four things that each of these people who both had both success and happiness had, and they were calling, connection, contribution and control. And I'll just give you a couple sentences on each of them real quick. Mm-hmm. Calling. Calling is the the uh, the thing that's bigger than you. It's this gravitational force inside of you that it's a business that you want to build. It's a cause you want to serve. It's a leader that inspires you. Maybe it's a family that you want to nurture, right? It doesn't have to be necessarily paid work. It could be, you know, if you're at home also. So mm-hmm. that's your calling. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. Your connection is, does the work you're doing on a daily basis actually connect to that calling you want to serve? Can you see uh-huh. sight lines between the uh-huh. work you're doing right now and solving that problem? So right. calling, connection, then contribution. If connection's all about the work, contribution, Kelly's all about you right? Mm-hmm. Does this job pay for you to go to that fancy hotel or does it give you the vacation <laughs> right. time to go out camping, right? Does mm-hmm. this job contribute? Does the job, the paycheck, the brand, the product, does it contribute to the life you want to live, the mm-hmm. lifestyle you'd like to have, the values you want to manifest on a daily basis, the career trajectory that you want? Right. So calling, connection, contribution, and lastly is control. Control. Now, you're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. We like our control. Like we're okay being on that like crazy magical mystery tour bus as long as we're driving. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I mean, I sit on the aisle seat of every airplane I'm on, not because I think I'm going to survive the like fiery crash (laughs) to death, but because I just like, I just like the illusion of control. I'm so much of a control freak. So there are studies that show that people are more likely to take jobs that give them more control than jobs that give them more power. Like, mm-hmm. We like autonomy. Autonomy tells us that 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 we have some agency about the per, the teams to which we're assigned, the mm-hmm. the 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 how much money we're going to get from our hustle, um, how the business is doing, the work that it's doing. Right? Like, are we going to be up for the promotion? Like, do we get in those positions? We like to have that kind of control. So, your personal brand of consonants how much calling, connection, contribution, and control you want right now in your life 
is going to be different than how much I want right now in my life. Mm -hmm. So when I was 22 and dropped out of law school and joined that presidential campaign, I was the girl who got the coffee for the girl who got the coffee for the guy who got the coffee for the guy. Mm -hmm. I had no control whatsoever. <laughs> None. Zero. And I certainly didn't have any connection. I mean, it didn't actually matter who got the coffee. But mm -hmm. I had calling in spades. I was so inspired. It was so exciting. And even though this work wasn't contributing actual money to my pocket because I was a volunteer, right. if my guy won, what an interesting career trajectory I might have. Right? right. Now, as I mentioned, I'm rounding 50. I've got two teenagers. We're dealing with college admissions and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like recreating a business in the middle of COVID when I can't get on a plane. Yep. Yep. It's completely different. Right. So my calling has shifted a little bit, but Boy, my work has to control, or sorry, my work has to connect to actually right, getting right. that business back off the ground. And in terms yeah. of contribution, it's I'm not necessarily interested in maximizing my dollars right now. I need to make enough, but I also want to make sure that I'm present for some really important things happening in my house. Definitely. And yeah. control, boy, I'd love to have control right now, but I've also ceded some ground <laughs> to COVID because, you know, my consonants model has four C's, calling, connection, contribution, and control. I did not account for the fifth C of COVID. <laughs> so, right, right. <laughs> so what's important is that each one of us at every age and at every life stage, we're going to have completely different interests in what gives us consonants. So your consonants is different than my consonants, but your mm -hmm. consonants, Kelly, is different than it was 10 years ago and is different than it's going to be 10 years from now. And we get stuck, to go back to your first question, because people put us on the wrong path. Like mm -hmm. when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, somebody says, Kelly, pick a job, pick a major, pick a trade, pick a college. And you're mm -hmm. like, okay. For the rest of your life. Yeah. Right. But you know what you don't have when you're 15, 16, 17 years old? Since? A frontal, <laughs> a frontal lobe. That's right. That's right. It's still developing. You literally don't have the capacity to make good, sound, logical decisions. We don't, we mm -hmm. just don't have the ability, but you're asked to do that. And then right. that decision is going to impact the rest of your life. So, A, mm -hmm. we're put on the path when we're not even ready to get there. And we're, mm -hmm. we're influenced by people who they love us. We're trying. Yep. But they yep. don't know what's right for us. And then we mm -hmm. get influenced by, like, the Kardashians because you know, there's so many Kardashians on the Internet. One of them has got to know something, right? That's I mean, right. About something. And then we go, okay, well, I guess I'm an ex. I'm a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I'm an accountant. I'm a teacher. I'm mm -hmm. a salesperson. I'm a whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're like, that's what I'm going to be. But then we grow and we change and our lives change and our inputs change and everything around us changes. So mm -hmm. we have to give ourselves the grace to say, okay, well, the Kelly I was 10 years ago is not the Kelly I am today. It's not the Kelly I'm right. 10 years from now. So we have to keep thinking every seven to 10 years, what is my current mm -hmm. definition of consonant? And is mm -hmm. the work that I'm doing right now allowing me to live into that? Guys, I hope you all are taking notes. Today. Right? <laughs> I don't normally no. drink coffee, but this is 8 p.m. I had to have coffee this morning. <laughs> well, look, I, I, I am totally glad about this because um, I, I, I read the book. There is no way I was going to be able to put that so eloquently. I, I would have probably jumbled over all of that. Um, what I what I'm what I'd like to do now is have you so. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw up actually in just a moment the link for the book because if you guys aren't taking notes, you're probably sad that you didn't. But I am gonna throw up the link so you can guys can see exactly where to get the book. Also, uh, I, I read it last week. It is it is awesome. It, it is a really good book. Um, once you get past though, uh, you you get the understanding. You 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 love the four C's because you you get it now. 
once you get past that point, um, what do you do? How do you, how do you, how do you put that into effect? How do I know what my calling is? How do I know what kind of control I'm looking for? Like, how do you, how do you fill in those variables? Well, so let's talk about calling for a minute. Because I think we get calling wrong because we think that calling has to be attached to purpose. Like, right. Right. like oh my God, right? Like the, the pressure to find a purpose. Like that's mm-hmm. big. But it's just, it's BS, right? Like, so when I was writing Limitless, I actually looked up the definition of the word purpose in the dictionary. <laughs> mostly because I didn't want to get called out by like internet trolls. Of and course, yeah. <laughs> you know what the definition of purpose is, Kelly? Mm-mm. Okay, here it is. Are you ready? This is the thing you got to take notes on this right here. The definition of purpose is this. The reason for which something is done. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all. That's it. The reason for which something is done. There's no picture of Mother Teresa feeding the lepers in India. <laughs> There's no picture of of of, of um St. Peter at the pearly gates with his abacus and his clipboard, right? Right. right. That's it. It's the reason for which something is done. And the other thing that's not in the dictionary is that, you know, that judgy friend of yours that's like, I don't know, mm-hmm. Kelly, I'm not sure if what you're doing is purposeful enough. Right? I love my vegan friends. Jeez. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I, there was a while where I, 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 I tried a little vegan. It coincided around the time where I was trying to learn how to run marathons. So as you might imagine, I was the most odious human being on the planet at oh, that point. Yeah. Oh, like, man, I can imagine. Now, how do you know when someone's a vegan? How do you know when they're a marathoner? Don't worry, they'll tell you, right? Like that's the yeah. jokes. <laughs> I was a vegan marathoner. I was very annoying. Mm-hmm. Like I'm telling everybody every day. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. I was a, I was, I was just condescending and and proud. But I was skinny. So. Sure. <laughs> because you know I was a vegan marathoner. Did I mention that? That's right. <laughs> so, so here's the thing we have we 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 the problem is is that we constantly give votes in our lives mm-hmm. to people who shouldn't even have voices we mm-hmm. cede our power to other people to tell us who we are mm-hmm. and whether our work is purposeful enough if you're calling is that you want to cure cancer that is amazing but Kelly, if your calling is that you want to work this job that may not be the most glamorous thing in the world because mm-hmm. it gets you out of debt so that you can actually allow your children to make decisions that were not available to you, that's awesome too. Mm-hmm. And Kelly, if your calling is that you want to buy a Maserati and a beach house, fine. That's awesome. Like There should not be any purpose shaming. Your purpose is mm-hmm. simply your purpose, pure mm-hmm. and simple. And that means we got to stop giving votes in our lives to people who should not have voices. Mm. That's it. So how do you find your calling? You say to yourself, what's really going to make me happy? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe your calling is you want to, you know, have this incredibly stressful, but, you know, high paying job. So you can live in a penthouse in the middle of the city, or maybe you say, you know what, I want to leave the rat race and I want to go live in an 1860s farmhouse and make my own food, you know, my own electricity with solar panels. I don't know. Like, cool. Like there's all kinds of people in the world and all kinds of lives to live. And if there's anything I've learned from COVID is that I'm looking at people on social media who are living very different lives than I'm living. And part of me is like, Mm -hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it might not be so bad to like sell our house in our fancy suburb and go buy a farm in the south of France and renovate That's it. Right. 
I don't know. Like you get one life, one big juicy life on this planet. So you got to stop living someone else's life, right? right. You got to live yours. So I think like, how do you figure out your calling? You say to yourself, what actually makes me happy? What excites me? What inspires me? And if you can figure out a way to make money doing that, that's mm -hmm. great. The other thing I'll say about calling is we don't all just get one calling. Mm. Like your calling may change throughout your life. Yep. And if if you're not changing, the world around you is changing. You know, when Limitless came out, I did over 150 podcasts and I did, you know, Good Morning America and 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 the Today Show and all sorts of stuff. And, and you were also a vegan who ran marathons. <laughs> I was no longer a vegan and I was definitely not <laughs> running marathons at the time. Um, but I'll tell you what, when your very first interview on live TV ever mm -hmm. is the Today Show and your very first interview about your book ever is that same interview on the Today Show, you don't eat for a couple of weeks. So I was able to be skinny because <laughs> I was scared out of my mind. Uh, but yeah, you want to talk about being an eternal idealist. I was like, it'll be fine. What could go wrong? It turns out I was fine because I could have vomited on myself and they would have right. been like, cut the camera too. Like they were such professionals. It was really easy to be great. Um, but we think that we have one calling in our life. And mm -hmm. the question I got asked in, in in some of the not great podcasts is this question. What advice would you give your 22-year-old self if they were listening to this podcast now? And I was like, yeah, my 22-year-old self who's listening to a podcast that's being recorded on the internet that I'm <laughs> watching on a on a cell phone. Like none of those none of those things existed when I was 22. So even mm. if I did have a fully formed frontal lobe, which you see earlier in the conversation, I did not. Mm -hmm, even if mm -hmm. I did know who I was, the world around me had changed so much by that point. So mm -hmm. if you are not changing and growing and your purpose, your calling is not changing and growing, then you're not paying attention. So mm. that's my thing about calling. And in terms of connection, I think a lot of us think we don't have connection like our work doesn't matter but mm -hmm. here's the thing i think sometimes it's just that our sight lines aren't there you may not know how the work you're doing actually impacts the bottom line of your company you may mm -hmm. not know how showing up every day impacts your employees you got to have those conversations walk with somebody to the elevator ask them how they're doing ask them for their input on things start having the kinds of conversations and you'll learn or just ask for those sight lines you know mm -hmm. i'm really curious how this work is going to impact that so that i can do it better we all have the same shared goal so right. how do you get there so finding connection there ask those questions and if you don't care if the answer is i don't care <laughs> what i just learned isn't interesting then you're probably in the wrong job if yeah. connection matters to you. It may be that you say, look, when I had small children and I was, you know, building that firm, it was very mm -hmm. stressful. A hundred percent every right. year for the first 10 years is a lot of growth and is very stressful. Very there much, were days yeah. where I fantasized about flipping burgers. <laughs> I want to just go flip. And it's not like I love nice burgers. Yep. I want to go. I want to flip burgers. I want to leave my work at work and I want to come home. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't want connection some, some days, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but if connection is important to you, just ask, just ask for more about that. Just figure out if it works and then look at your calendar and say to yourself, is everything on my calendar actually connecting to the calling I want to serve? Mm -hmm. Is everything on my to-do list connecting 
right. to, the, to the calling I want to serve is getting to inbox zero, connecting to the calling I want to serve. And it may be that we're just confusing action for impact just because you're busy mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're being impactful on that calling. Definitely. So, you know, it's, it's, we confuse that all the time. And, you know, I have a whole Ted talk that I talk about, you know, the, the questions we should ask to figure that out. So people should go, should go look for that. But, uh, you know, if you are busy being full of action, but you're not impacting your calling, then it doesn't matter how connected it is. If your day, if your calendar, if your inbox, if your, if your to-do list is being dictated by things that are important to others, Mm. then it's not being impacted by things that are important to you. Mm. Contribution. You want to talk contribution? How do you figure this out? Okay. This is, this is where I get to give you my favorite, um, an impassioned plea about my favorite word. And and I want to talk specifically to the women. Give me a holla, okay? I want to talk specifically to the women who are listening right now. We are often told that ambition is a bad thing, especially mm-hmm. for women, right? Like, oh, she's so ambitious. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've heard that before. Have you ever, have you ever, Kelly, have you, have you ever heard anybody say about any of your male friends, oh, he's so ambitious? No. No. They're not like, in a negative way. Right? He's a go-getter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't say that about women. They say she's so ambitious. But women, we like to be responsible, right? So if you're a woman and you're watching and you are feeling bad about your ambition because you have subsumed it to the more socially acceptable faux humility, hashtag humble brag, here's what I want (laughs) to ask you. Would having more money, more time, more leverage, more freedom, more... uh, power, more megaphone, more access, allow you to show up better for the people that you love and the causes you hold dear? Right? Kelly, I asked you the same question. Would having more money, more, would, would having more of anything allow you to show yeah. up better for the causes you love and the, and the, yeah. and the people that you hold dear? Yeah. yeah It'll right? lots of doors, more potential. Can, can you see the uh, comments, Laura? I can. I see. You see your your, your girls are jumping in here. I like it. Okay. So Joanne, here's what I'm going to tell you. It's not your ambition. It's your responsibility. Mm. Right. We want to show up for the people we love and the causes we hold dear. And if getting more of these things allows you to do better by them, then there's no reason to feel badly about it. Mm. So we can get rid of ambition. You can go for all the contribution that you want. I live in a nice house. I make no apologies for my nice house. I use my nice house to raise money for politicians and for nonprofits that I think are going to change the world for people who don't get to live in nice houses. Mm. That's what I do with it. Could I ask people for a check, a big ass check in a less nice house? Yes. Is it easier to ask people for a big ass check in a nicer house? Yes. Am I more successful because I've been doing this a long time in the house I live in now than the house I used to live in? Yes, right? I am ambitious and I want to have nice things and be surrounded by nice things because I can do nice things with them. Mm. I get to pick people's pockets in a nicer house. <laughs> let, let me ask you, uh, I, there, there, boy, I, I, I honestly wish I, I got a I got a roundtable coming up. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about bias and and that sort of thing. There seems to be, though, uh, almost it seems like what you're talking about or speaking to is a measure of guilt 
that seems to be there specifically for women when it comes to doing well for themselves. Is that is that societal? Is that family? Is that a combination? And what do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it's guilt. And I think some of it is uh, that we have to play a certain game. And like I'm saying this as a privileged white lady, straight, cisgendered, privileged white lady. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are LGBTQ, if you are a black woman, if you are Latinx, if you are, if you are Asian, indigenous, it's even harder, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a game mm-hmm. that you have to play. And, 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 and I'll tell you this, and this is going to sound a little weird when I say the statement. So just hang with me for a minute. Mm-hmm. In 20 years of doing executive search where I would ask people, not necessarily about what they accomplished or how they accomplished it, but really why they did the work they did. Again, this is for like nonprofit mission-driven organizations. I would hear stories of um, cousins that died in people's arms from, you know, gang shootings. I would hear about um, having to stand in front of the press after a plane crashed, you know, the mm. before uh, 9-11, but a plane crashed mm-hmm. in the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. I would hear stories about, you know, losing loved ones, the diagnosis, the parent, the teacher, that moment where, you know, you just realized that you had to do something different and people would cry. People would cry in my office almost every day never in 20 years did a black woman cry in my office. Mm. And it's not because I didn't try. (laughs) It wasn't like I was trying to make people cry, but I Mm -hmm. wanted to get to their story. But black women in particular have to be so guarded and so perfect and so code switching to be someone else because they have to fit into what society expects of them because God forbid they don't and they're threatening, right? This is so... I think that there is a ton of bias that's out there. So yeah, do women feel guilty for being career women and not being home, you know, wiping the children's faces every single day? Sure. I mean, there's tons of garbage around that, that like, you know, men are, you know, men never feel this guilt because they've, you know, the only, the only role models they've seen on TV have been working men, whereas women yeah. have gotten yeah. like stay at home mom over and over and over and over. But there's also an expectation that when a man says he's going to go to his kid's soccer game on a Wednesday afternoon, it's like, oh, what a great dad he is. (laughs) And when a woman says she's going to her kid's soccer game, it's like, oh, guess she's not really paying attention. Guess her mind's really in her womb. Guess she's, you know, her somewhere else. Guess when when it comes down to who we're going to put on the big assignment, we know we can count on Joe because he's a good dad. But Jill, hmm, Mm -hmm. I don't know if she prioritizes work. So. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It, it, it's it. Some of it's guilt, but I think a lot of it is playing a game that has been put on us by other people. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wanted to provide you a little bit of a soapbox. You can throw all of that out there. Thank you. And you had your coffee. So. Listen, I, I don't. I don't even need an invitation for a soapbox. I, <laughs> I'm all. I'm all about it. Um, but you know, I look. I think. I think this is something. It's something that we see a lot. And the other thing that happens is, you know, women think that they have to be nice all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And oh. and again, especially if you are, you know, if you are, you know, non-white, non-cisgender, mm-hmm. non-straight, mm-hmm. Um, we have to be nice because like nice doesn't upset the apple cart. Nice right. is like, right. oh, you started talking, I'll stop. Oh, you wanted to take that assignment? I guess I won't say anything, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to be nice because you don't upset anybody. If there's some right. dirty dishes in the office sink, you'll just do them because you're nice. But men, we never say, oh, he's so nice. We say, oh, look, he's so kind. Isn't that so kind of him to take that young staffer on a, you know, 
project with him. Whereas the woman's like, oh, it's really nice of her to do that, right? Like it's, mm. the, it, there's a difference in those two words. Like nice is like, it's nice, it's expected, good for her. And mm. kind of, oh, he's so kind. Yeah, he's like, altruistic, yeah. He's amplified her voice in the meeting. He made space <laughs> for her. He led that woman. He's so kind. And we think about that and we're like, okay. And I always yeah. ask women who I coach, to think about moments when they cannot just be nice. I'm like, stop being so nice. Start being kind. How do you step mm. into your kindness? How do you in a meeting mm. say, oh, you know, Kelly, that's a really interesting idea. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that. And suddenly you're using your power. You're giving something that you have. You're giving space. You're giving time. You're giving attention. That's you being kind. I love that, yeah. Step into your kindness and it elevates you. It elevates yeah. that, that leadership persona that you have. So there's just these little things that women can do to create space for themselves that allow them to be more ambitious, to allow them to have that kindness, to allow them to step into power in a way that um, can get rid of some of that guilt. Hmm. That that is that is beautiful. Thank you. Because one of the things that um, uh, uh, when we talk to people about uh, these limitations that we're putting on ourselves, uh, obviously there's there's a bunch that surround uh, gender roles, that surround work, that surround uh, what we're all supposed to do. And I personally go through it myself. Being a black male, I smile so much because I don't want people to misunderstand my my regular face, my regular mood as as angry. Uh, you know, because there there is a there is a lot of of bias when yes. when we're when we're talking about that though. Um, is there so from from an employee side, from uh, from uh, an entrepreneurial side, we can say you know, the, the tips you just gave uh, from the management side. And I know we're, we're off topic just a bit, but I'm just curious about your thinking on this from, from the managerial side. How do you, how do you approach it? How do you, how do you change a system? Oh, well, <laughs> I think the whole show just on that. Okay. Right. Yeah. I figured uh, it was going to probably be a lot, but, but you know, how do you change a system? You change a system by not saying things like, well, I'm not quite sure her we're going to hire, but I'll know it when I see it. Because mm. if you know it when you see it, it means you've seen it before. Mm. So if you've seen it before, it means it looks probably like you. <laughs> and that's not sure. diversity, right? right. Like, you know, right. we for years we would get called into clients and they would say, well, we'd like to hire a diverse candidate. And I'd say mm -hmm. that doesn't exist. Because an individual can't be diverse. Like, mm -hmm, that's, just, mm -hmm. that's not the definition of the word. So mm -hmm. tell me what you're looking for. And they said, well, we want somebody who represents the people that we serve. And you look around and you're like, okay, there's a bunch of white people in this room. And all the pictures of the people you serve are black. So you want a black person. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, okay, what if I brought you <laughs> a black person who... Uh, grew up in Chevy Chase, Maryland, went to St. Albans private high school, then went to, um, I don't know, Yale, and then went to uh, Harvard Law. And they're like, well, uh, I, uh, I, they just don't know what to say. Because it's like, that person clearly does not represent the people that you serve. The kid, that person did not grow up in poverty like the people like your pretty pictures on your wall. So right. we would have to have a conversation about, well, what does it mean? What are you looking for? Why are you having the kinds of conversations yeah. you're having? Respect and maybe that, yep. right, maybe that first generation kid 
whose you know parents came from Ireland and who work as house painters actually is going to bring diversity to the bunch yeah. of Ivy League educated people that you have around your table. So having that conversation, you can be we have this idea that we're all saying the same thing. So when somebody says, I want a smart, articulate, um, uh, uh, you know, fundraising, charismatic executive director, you're like, okay, smart about what? Articulate mm -hmm. on what topics? Fundraising from what kinds of, you know, from people, from foundations, from grants, from the government, right. uh, you know, charismatic. What does that mean, right? Are they charismatic? on TV? Are they charismatic one-on-one? -on -one? Do you want them to talk in front of 5,000 people? So we have this idea that we know what these words mean, but we're mm -hmm. all defining them differently. So if you're a manager, the best advice I'd give to you is I'd say, what's the goal? Like, what are you trying to achieve? Hmm. And how do we define those words? And then what kinds of people are going to get us there? Do we have those people around the table right now? If we do, am I making space for them to bring their gifts into the conversation? Right. Right. And if I don't, we should talk about why that is. And if hmm. I don't have the people around the table, then how do I get them? And how do I make space before I bring them in to have the conversations where the right. diversity of opinion is actually valued here? Right. Versus just being shut down. Just being shut uh, down. Laura, thank you so much for bringing all of this to the table. <laughs> this is this is even more fruitful than I than I thought. Um, I want to flash up a couple of things really quickly. Um, the limitless challenge. Can you talk about what that is really quickly? Ah, uh, yes. So <laughs> you want to talk about entrepreneurial mistakes? Here's an entrepreneurial mistake. When, as you can tell, I'm kind of an all-in sort of gal, right? <laughs> I am like intense. So limitlessassessment.com is a, is it's an assessment you can go and you can figure out how much contribute how much calling uh connection contribution and control you have in your life right now and mm -hmm. how much you want to have in your life there are 67 questions it takes a little bit of time about 20 minutes so like grab a glass of scotch a you know tumbler of, of, of oj like whatever you drink and like sit down and take it <laughs> It turns out that when this came out, 25,000 people went to limitlessassessment.com and like 5,000 finished because I didn't give anybody the warning that it took a little bit of time. So that was a big entrepreneurial mistake that I can tell you about. And I've since learned now that people you gotta need, tell people up front. They need less. Yeah, sorry, my camera just went off, but it'll come back on in a second. You got to tell people up front. So that's my entrepreneurial mistake I made. And if you're like, mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of time and you want to just go quickly, you can just go to myfourquestions.com and there's literally four questions. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Calling, connection, contribution, and control. But I would encourage you, it's your life. You have one big juicy life. Spend 20 minutes and figure out how much calling, connection, contribution, and control you need. Because after you take the quiz, I will email you very specific things that you can do to change your career, change your uh, workplace, or change yourself so that you can get more of what you want in this life that you got. That is awesome. Uh, moving on, I, I did flash up the website uh, for the book already and to invite you for speaking engagements. Um, you guys, let me just tell you, uh, Laura is the best. Uh, after multiple conversations and watching her live shows, she is the best. And you guys got to witness that tonight. So uh, www.lauragastneraudding.com. You see, I got the name spot on that time. All right. Well done. And <laughs> 
<laughs> Although I will say, because Laura Gassner Otting is a lot of name and my friends call me LGO, I actually also mm-hmm. bought ALGO.com so people can Thank find you. me there too. And there you look go. At look at that. that. Oh. And there is a limitless course. Can you go ahead and just say a couple words about that? Yeah. So if you liked what you got tonight and you want to have like three more hours of me, uh, you can have the whole course. Um, And somewhere around here, I have a 70 page workbook with exercises and um, and and all sorts of things that uh, that you can do questions and journaling and all that stuff, because, again, I'm all in. Right. So um, Mm -hmm. it's. held on Kajabi. It's really easy to access. You can get it on your iPad or your computer or your phone. And we mail to you the 70 page beautiful workbook. And it actually also comes with a Facebook group um, that I'm, mm-hmm. you know, live and active in all the time. So yeah, if you want to join, if the best way to make any change is to have accountability and to have partners mm-hmm. in it. So what we do in our limitless course is we have our whole limitless circle and we all have each other's back and everybody's there helping and promoting each other. And just last week, a woman in the course uh, said, you know, I wasn't going to do it. I was afraid to do it, but I, I decided when I, when, 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 and rather than ask for the promotion I thought I wanted, I asked for mm. the promotion after the promotion that I really knew I was qualified for. And she's like, and I got it. And like, she said she was going to do it and everyone was cheering her on and then she got it. And it was really exciting and fun. Like so that's that. what we do in the yeah. limitless course. Um, Laura, thank you so much for your time this evening. You are amazing. Um, I, what I will do, guys, is I'll, when I repost the video, I'll go ahead and throw all these links in so you guys will have total access to catch up with Laura. She's also on LinkedIn and I believe Facebook also, right? I'm on and LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on Facebook, YouTube, oh, yeah. and Hey LGO, uh, Instagram, all at Hey LGO on all the socials is where to find me. All right. Thank you so much, Laura. Hold on for just a second. I am going to play us out with my cheesy outro and I'll talk to you backstage. Thank <laughs> you.